for the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world. We are live and amplified. So let's get ready to podcast. Fire it up. Welcome, everybody, to another live and amplified livecast. I'm your host, Tom Quiet, and we are back at it again with another amazing podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Robert Andrew Wagner of The Little Wretches. How's it going today, Robert? You did that. Oh, I was, I was, he's going to stumble over wretches. He's going to bite you. Got it. First you know, attempt. Very good. I usually, I, see, that's why I like doing it live, because I, in for whatever reason in my head, when I know it's live and I only got one shot at it, I'm less likely to stumble. Whereas if this was just recorded and it wasn't live, so to speak, then I'd take me two or three tries just to get it right. And, okay, that that happens with music too. You just kind of know that uh, once you get on stage, everything's going to go right. Or once yeah. you get in the studio and, and okay, it's time to cut the song. Uh, I know it. Yep, we're yep. ready. Yeah, uh, for sure. You know, and it's like you could run it in your head as much as you want and stumble and stumble and stumble. But once that mic turns on and the light turns yeah. green or yeah. red, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, it's just showtime. Time to go. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to have you here. Um, talk a little bit about music, what you got going on and all that fun stuff. I know uh, we've been interacting on social media. It feels like pretty good portion of the pandemic. I've seen seen you pop around the uh, Facebook group and whatnot a few times. So really excited to actually sit down and chat with you. Yeah, well, I've been looking forward to it for quite a while too. I wondered if it was ever gonna happen. I'm huh? glad, glad it has. Yeah, it's because uh, I think we had one scheduled last year at some point, but that was when I was going through the whole uh, personal situation. I don't know if I ever filled you in on that, but um, I was dealing with some stuff with my mom and she had, was diagnosed with cancer and whatnot. So last year was a rough year for the podcast to say the least. So Yeah, yeah. well, it's uh, life throws those things at you, you know, it, yep. and, and you got to do what when it happens, you got to do what's right. You know, you yeah. can't. Uh, so Yeah, I took like a good six weeks off the pot or after everything kind of unfolded and happened, I took a good six weeks off and I, there was a couple of points where I was like, I, I kind of want to get back into it, but I knew that it just wasn't going to be right. So I waited until first of the year and here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so welcome back. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm um, really excited to chat with you a little bit um, before we kind of jump into the little wretches and everything you got going on there uh let's take a step back and give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and for like the people that are just getting to meet you for the first time uh like what's your comic book origin story number one? Oh no well, you know i'm one of those kids you know back back when i was growing up people didn't go to daycare centers and stuff like that you know you you stayed at a 
with friends or cousins, you know. So I had this big network of cousins, most of whom were older than me, and they all had good record collections. You know, for us, when we would play, uh, there would always be a little children's turntable with a bunch of old scratchy 45s and stuff. So we grew up, I mean, I just always had music when, when I was, was growing up. And uh, my cousin, who's a little bit older than me, said, you know, the Beatles are the best band because they write their own songs. I was like, oh, well, let's write some songs then. You know, we made, uh, we got plywood and two by fours and rubber bands and tried to make guitars. And, you know, the adults joked with us, oh, then you need to get a recording contract. Like, well, how do you do that? Like, well, you got to get a record company. So we, we would get the, the records and we'd read the labels and, you know, write letters to the record companies saying, we want a record contract. You know, of course, never got a call back and never. But but I've always I mean, all I ever wanted to do was was be in a band and, and play music. And, you know, you mentioned your mom had cancer that I'd pretty much resigned myself to uh, having to be a poet or something, you know, because, you know, how do you if you, how do you have a band? But, uh, you know, I got cancer when I was uh, like a freshman in college. And oh, wow. uh, at the time. I was really lucky. the The doctors that I, you know, went to an emergency room, and the doctors just turned out to be these young guys that were on the cutting edge of research. And uh, the kind of cancer I had, you know, there were professors going to my friends, giving them books on grief counseling because your buddy's not going to make it. And my doctors were like, oh no, 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 we got this new stuff; it's going to work. But uh, in fact, it was on the night before the Super Bowl, which you know was right around the corner. My, uh, me, me, and my roommate, who was really a really talented musician, we just looked at each other. It's like, man, all I ever wanted to do was have a band. Let's start a band, and that was it. You know, so so every every year, the night before the Super Bowl, I try to try to have a nice little gig because uh, you know, turning point in my life. It was. It's all I've ever wanted to do, and you know, when you're a musician, sometimes you got to get a side job here, do what you got to do to, to, you know, keep a roof over your head. For me, I'm in education. I, I'm just kind of. It's easy for me to hang out with kids, and uh, you know, call myself a teacher. So, uh, every every time there was a, a a slow point in my career, I'd go back and take a few more classes. Next thing you know, I had a master's degree and. You know, they give you money to hang out with kids, and they tell you it's a hard job, and, yeah. and it's not. You know, yeah. where did um where did you go to school to get your master's? University of Pittsburgh. I mean, I'm a I'm a Pittsburgher. I bleed black and gold. I, you know, I will be repping the four one two for forever. Uh, I live out. In, you know, I'm a Pennsylvania guy, mm -hmm. but uh, in Pittsburgh, you know, a guy. Uh, named uh, Brian O'Neill, I think his name is, wrote a book called The Paris of Appalachia. And that's really what Pittsburgh is. Pittsburgh is not Midwest. Pittsburgh is not East Coast. It's, uh, I mean, it's like the top of the Appalachian Mountains. And that's where everybody from all backgrounds moved, to, you know, for the industry that was there. And it was a real melting pot, uh, a really hardcore people. I think we drink more coffee than any place in the world. We iron our clothes more than any place in the world because we take pride in the way we look. And uh, I think we eat more baked beans than anybody else in the world, too. 
Probably. So <laughs> since you brought up that you're a diehard Pittsburgh till the day you die, and you brought up football, how did you feel when uh, Big Ben announced his retirement a few weeks ago? Well, you know, a lot or, of people. Well, he's, he, he, he went out as the best player on the team, you know, yeah. so most of us would love to have him back. But, you know, it's time to time to open some new doors and, you know, a new era, new era to begin. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, I, I, I was not always a fan of, of him. In fact, there was a time when, when uh, he was involved in some scandals earlier mm-hmm. in his career. Oh, I, I refused to speak his name. I would refer to him as number seven, the quarterback. Uh, I was so, so upset with him. But uh, he ended up going to the same church as my sister and turns mm-hmm. out to be a pretty good guy. Yeah. I, I remember when all that went down. I was in college when all that went down and that was a pretty interesting time you know it's funny because that like whole draft class was like the first year that i could remember like actually being interested in football in general like uh well i just remember like watching the draft and watching big ben get drafted and you know i'm from chicago i'm a chicago bears fan just for transparency yeah there you go um and so I just remember Big Ben, and then when I saw him play for the first time, I was like, oh, he's really good. And then, of course, he went on to win Yeah, as yeah. much well, as he has. So. You know, the first, first football game he ever – I mean, look, you know, you, you got me on the Steelers. Oh, no. but That's uh, all good. He, he never lost a football game till he was a pro. Yeah. Uh, Pee wee football never lost a game. High school football never lost a game. College football never lost a game. I mean, and anybody was from a small college, so mm-hmm. there were some people saying, "Oh, but you know, he he he's playing against bad competition. He'll never make it in the NFL." <laughs> nah, that guy's a winner all the way. Yeah, and a, sure. and a competitor, you know. For and sure. a big for dude, a big dude, try oh, yeah. to tackle that guy. Yeah. Up until a few years ago, I had a Big Ben jersey just because when I was in high school, my my computer science teacher knew somebody that worked at a, I think it was a Reebok printer. And so all the blemished ones, she'd she'd sell to him. And so it would be like, oh, hey, do you want this big ben jersey i'll sell it to you for 20 bucks and like we're talking like the authentic jerseys like legit authentic you know um and he was like here i paid 15 i'll sell it to you for 20 and i'm like all right cool oh yeah that stuff goes for for big bucks yeah for sure for sure but you know it, it was a time in my life where it's like you know what let's go for it so yeah but um so I brought up football for a reason because you'd mentioned that um, since you got diagnosed uh, young with cancer, every year you kind of try and play a show right before the Super Bowl. Uh, have you been able to do that the last few years with the? Uh, I think it was two years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've lost track of time. It's been so weird. Uh, right before the lockdown, we we did a really really good show at a club in Pittsburgh called Moon Dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's in like the International Blues Hall of Fame. It's it's mainly a blues club, but uh, I used to run a songwriter series there. Uh, the the owner a real supporter of music. So uh, the Little Wretches and uh, there's this great other great band so they're kind of like progressive bluegrass. They're called Devilish Mary. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but if you ever get a chance to come uh, to discover Devilish Mary's music. So we did a double bill uh, the night before the Super Bowl. Huge turnout. Uh, everybody was psyched. Okay, when are we going to do this again? You know, a couple of months later. A couple of months later, we were on hold for two weeks. Yeah. And then, you know, a couple of months, and next thing you know, oh, dang, it's never coming back. And now, you know, yeah, I think I'm a couple years older than you. Uh, like in the Philadelphia area. Not that much, you're not that much older than me. The songwriters community out here, they're so lazy. I mean, in Pittsburgh, we wanted to take over the world yeah. all the time. But but out here in Philly, they're like happy to do Zoom meetings. It's almost yeah. like, oh, good, we don't have to go out. <laughs> oh, man. I, I My dream has always been, you know, I want to wake up in the morning thinking about where I'm playing tonight. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, I don't want it to be in front of a laptop in my bedroom, you know? Yeah, fair. That's fair. You know, I will say, though, I have really enjoyed working remotely. Like, that's, but that's just because I, I enjoy being able to wake up five minutes before work and being on time. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I, I get that. I get that. But, but you know, from the music standpoint, I, I can only imagine, I mean, like anybody who's in the performing arts, okay, like if, if you're if you're in television or you're, you're, you're in drama, you know, you're used to shooting things and, you know, okay, now it's time to get the close up and mm -hmm. all that. But, but if, but if you're a live performer, uh, so much of, you know, it's timing and it's interaction with the audience and, and it's like reading really subtle cues. Uh, and, and, you, and I mean, that's where the real, you know, connection comes in is, is, you know, when, when you're live, I and mean, especially for me, I, with our band, we always we, we, we would never go out with a set list. We say we have a repertoire mm -hmm. and we're going to play it the way we feel it in the moment. Maybe we'll play a little faster, maybe a little bit slower. We might even change the key. But we're going to call the tunes based on the vibe. You know, what, what do we need right now? And, you know, depending on who our performing ensemble is, you know, because you know, we can play with a six piece, can play with a two piece, but uh, be like, okay, uh, you, you, a song strikes, you just start it, you know? Mm -hmm. Don't don't let, don't let stand around and say, what do you want to play next? Man, just start the tune. We'll know what it is and we'll jump in. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's a magic moment and it can only be live, you yeah. know? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Since you brought up um, the Little Wretches and playing live shows, uh, what, or what's kind of the history of the Little Wretches? Well, okay, you know, I mentioned that I didn't think that, you know, I didn't know anybody. Nobody in my family was involved in music. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's interesting how, how many people in the, even in sports or the arts, their parents, you know, you find out, oh, his, his dad was an actor, mm -hmm. you know. So, but nobody in my family was involved in in the performing yeah. arts is how, how do you get in so uh i mean i would practice my guitar and write eight hours a day but but then you know punk rock happened you know i was in college and it, you know i just was in the right place at the right time where i could connect with people who said hey you know there, there's a new club and they're looking for bands and i can put you on the show and what are you gonna, guys going to call yourselves so my, my first band which i started with my roommate we, you know, people think of punk rock as like mohawks and leather jackets and ripped clothes and everything, but it was really uh, very, very free. Uh, you, you know, you didn't have to be uh, experienced, you didn't have to necessarily even be talented, 
but it was artistically across the board, uh, very creative and, and not all locked into one style. Uh, and then once I figured out that, that I, you know, I'm, I'm a good lyricist, I'm a good songwriter, but it, it doesn't come across with all that volume, right? You're putting out so much information and, you know, people can't hear it over the noise. So I, you know, I think of like No Shelter and that punk scene was like an apprenticeship where I figured out, okay, this is what I'm good at. Now I got to figure out how to put it together uh, so that what I do comes across. And so my brother and I, my brother was just, you know, getting out of high school. He played violin. So, you know, went to the library, got a bunch of folks, books about folk music, you know, Johnny Cash. And uh, so, because thinking you, we have to have some kind of way to to tell the audience this, you know, an olive branch to the audience. Yes, we're doing original music, but here's here's a way to frame it. You know, we're we're telling stories, uh, and uh, you know, we're going to have certain melodic elements, certain narrative elements, uh, and you know, we got you know something. You know, I'm going to say something that nobody else is going to say. Uh, leave our characters in your dreams, you know. Uh, so w when we started out, it was really rinky-dink. You know, my brother on violin, I didn't even have an acoustic guitar. I was playing a Gibson Melody Maker. Our bass player played an electric bass. And uh, we had these two guys, they were like Gladys Knight and the Pips, you know. They, they would, they both played flute. One guy played a soprano sax, but they would bang on stuff and do like like doo-wop vocals, like Beach Boys vocals. And it was really exciting. People loved us, but we were so weird. Where could we play? You know, a new art gallery's opening. Oh, the Little Wretches can play at an art gallery opening. But, you know, we wanted to play in clubs. We wanted to be, so we had to, you know, turn into a regular. This was like the more mainstream we got, uh, we, we kind of lost... So, so it's always been back and forth. And, and now I'm a little bit like the three little pigs. You know, what, whatever tools I have, uh, I got my thing. I'll work with it with, with whatever tools are at my disposal. So I, you know, I, I can play a lot of shows, just solo acoustic, uh, duo shows, uh, or when we get the opportunity to play full band shows. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that, that would be the ideal, but... Uh, you know the logistics of it these days are hard to yeah. hard to put together. So mainly for about the last ten years, it's it's me and my guitar. You know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and then when you do get those full shows or the um, uh, more than just you, I guess, do you have like a certain group that you turn to, or is it just kind of whoever's available? Well, there, there's been a couple of different, like really solid generations of the band. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there was a version with the piano player Dave Losey, who was also a great songwriter, and, and El, Ellen Hildebrand, who's also a, a good songwriter, uh, and you know, just has some kind of spirit or soul that she mm -hmm. brings to the stage. So, when, when, so that, like that's one version of the band that sometimes perform, and then there's the version of the band that recorded Undesirables and Anarchists. Uh, the drummer's the same guy. But you know, it's the bass player and the, and the vocalists. You know that that's a little bit different. The piano player, uh, the, the bass player for for this version of the band, John Carson. We're we're working on an album right now. It's supposed to come out on March second, but we're still tweaking the mixes. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know, it could we could miss our deadline? But 
you know, I, I do my thing. You know, I present the song to the musicians, and you know, it's like I'm not going to tell you what to play. I'll tell you if I don't like what you're doing. Yeah. But you know, bring your thing to the table. I want you to express your thing through my songs. Mm -hmm. And John Carson's bass playing on this new album is, is so imaginative and so perfect. Uh, and, and the writing. Uh, can I tell you about the new album? Uh, yeah. Okay, I, we were going to get to it in a little bit, but we'll yeah. start, jump to it now. Well, yeah, I, I've, I've kind of like been working on these songs for a long time. They're, they're, and even some of the, you know, I used to publish poetry, you know, mm -hmm. so I took some poems that I published, you know, way, way long time ago when I was in college and set them to music. And uh, we, we've been working on this because we did it in the COVID era. Yeah. They're all in Pittsburgh. I'm out here in Philly. So... Yeah. I present the songs to them, but when we're rehearsing over a Zoom meeting, yeah. uh, you have to turn. I have to turn the audio off because there's a, like a couple of second delay. Yeah. So I can play, they can hear me, but I can't even hear what he's doing. So I don't even know what they're going to play until the, until we're in the studio, and uh, we get in there and record it. Uh, and it was great. Yeah. Uh, but it's the, the the finishing touches like the last album we recorded we went and re, we recorded it live in the studio this this new one like okay when can i get back to pittsburgh when is the studio available when does is everybody healthy oh we got to cancel this session because somebody has covid oh we have to cancel that this session because so and so was exposed and now they got a quarantine mm -hmm. so here it is we started working on the project last january and here it is january yeah last day of january and we're yeah. uh still trying to finish the dang thing it's hey, going to be great at, at least you're making headway on it like and it's like you've got everything recorded you're on the final mixes so yeah, yeah it's one of those things you know where uh look you never know how how the audiences are going to perceive it mm -hmm. uh but i mean i just kind of know I mean, I believe, I mean, I love it. I love it. it the, the songs, a lot of them are real character based. They're about sick people, crazy people, old people, and alone people. Uh, but it's really more, it's not so much about, because that sounds kind of depressing, yeah. but it's really about the, like the spirit, you know, the humor, the, the life that just keeps them going. Nothing's going to stop them. Nothing, nothing's going to keep them down. Yeah. Uh, and so it's really about, uh, you know, the durability, the endurance, the triumph of the human spirit, you know, and, and, and the faith, you know, it's uh, so I think it's fun and funny. And I hope I hope people like it. But yeah. I know I know we've we've done something good with this album. For sure. Uh, what went into the uh, song selection process for this album? Well, uh, you know, I've been putzing around with the songs. I, you know, I had a couple of centerpieces. Uh, there's a song called Duquesne. Mm -hmm. uh, Duquesne is like a river town outside of Pittsburgh that used to be a steel town. Yeah. And now it's so poor that they don't even have their own school district. Oh, wow. And, uh, but there's a lady that, you know, she's worked all of her life and now she's past retirement age. So, so they've forced her to retire, but she gets up in the morning and she gets on the bus just like she's going to work but instead of going to work she sits in the church all day and when it's time to go home from work she gets back on the bus and goes home you know and then you know certain days of the week she knows her daughter's going to call and uh so that's that's like this one of the centerpieces of mm -hmm. 
uh, you know, because I, I can perform it acoustic and I know like, especially if people haven't heard it before, it's like, oh man, that's a great song. So I have a couple of those. Uh, there's a song, there's a poet friend of mine. I just walked into a bar and they were having a poetry reading. And this woman named Annette Dietz read this poem called Winter's Grace. And I said, man, that was a great poem. It had the line, Sometime, some days the best I can do is clear a path for light. Mm. I said, oh, that's a great line. I, I want to build a song around that line. And I, just, I approached her right after the poetry reading. She hands me the poem, says, do what you want with it. So, so that's one of the songs on this. Uh, just, but, but there were a couple of pieces missing. Mm -hmm. And then they just kind of came, you know. Uh, so now, uh, and it's you know it's it's one of those like those one of those old-fashioned concept albums. It's about sixty minutes of music, and you're supposed you know if you listen to the whole thing, and I hope everybody will at least once. Mm -hmm. You know there, there's it's solid, but but I, I have all the faster-paced songs towards the end mm -hmm. because uh, like I found myself you know because I'll listen to the mixes in my car maybe after twenty minutes. It's like okay, I, I've heard enough. Yeah. But no, if you want people to listen, stick with it all the way. You got to give them a change of pace. You got to give them a reason to stay on board. So the energy level actually grows. Uh, but but the, you know, each song works on its own too. I mean, I know not everybody. It's like going to the movie Taxi Driver. There's mm -hmm. a lot of powerful scenes in it, but and it's a long movie. But if you watch the whole movie, it's worth it's worth the time. But you're not going to watch it. You know. Music, you need a hit song. You want people to stream your song a hundred yeah. times a day. Uh, you know, this is more like an album that you'll listen to once every couple of years, but you'll have a couple of favorite songs that maybe mm -hmm. you'll play a lot. Who knows? Yeah, for sure. Have you uh, given it, have you given the new album a title yet, or is that still kind of in works? Yeah, well, I mean, and this, this is kind of weird too. Uh, there's a couple of, it's called Red Beats and Horseradish. Okay. Uh, which uh, I don't know if you've ever eaten red beets and horseradish, but you know, in, there's a lot of Eastern European uh, people in, in the Pittsburgh area, and my, my family on my mother's side, they're Slovakian, and so every every like Easter season, they would make this like they minced or diced, you know, really ground yeah. up red beets with horseradish for flavoring. Yeah. And I always I always liked it. And so one day I, I looked, tried to find a recipe on the internet and I found out that actually has, you know, for some ethnicities it has religious symbolism and for some ethnicities it's like, I think for the Serbians, it's the blood of our people and the bitterness of our suffering. And for a lot of the other, you know, ethnicities, it's the blood of our savior and the bitterness of his suffering. Mm -hmm. And then for the Jews, it's just, the blood's just for flavor. You know, the blood's just for flavor. There, there is no blood. They don't have, they yeah. don't consume blood. So the beets are just for flavoring, but the horseradish is the bitterness of their suffering. So that's a symbolic thing. Uh, and, and then, you know, from like the musical side, it's roots. You know, what's a beet is a root. Yep. What's horseradish? And it's not, you know, not every to everybody a lot of people think beets taste like dirt i happen to like them and i've eaten a little bit of dirt in my time too so so i think you know it has like that rootsy music angle to it and it has the symbolic thing and like you know it's about people who've suffered and struggled and uh you know yeah. will not quit i think any kid that was born past prior to like 95 has eaten dirt at some point yeah, in their life. Yeah, yeah. 
just just my opinion don't don't crucify me if you disagree but oh well i heard down in down in the south there's some place where we're like there's i don't know if it's in georgia uh I, I i had a friend that i used to work with she said down there there's a certain kind of clay that you could like just to get a little pinch of it mm, it's just so good a little bit sour and uh it's like yeah yeah well tell i want to get down there and taste that dirt someday yeah yeah, yeah. i i don't know if i'd willingly eat dirt at this point in my life but you know, oh, I'm, I'm so gullible. I remember when I was a kid, my sister and her friends were making mud pies. And I said, they're not really pies. And they said, yes, they are. They're pies. Would you want? And then they convinced me, you know, since it was a pie and eat pie, I took a bite out of one of their mud pies. Ooh, how, how could you do that to a kid? Yeah, that's I, I yeah, I got you. So um, I'm kind of curious now to find out about what's kind of the difference between this new album and uh, Undesirables and Anarchists. Is there kind of a... Well, Undesirables and Anarchists, uh, when we recorded that, we, we, that was basically our live set. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and since I, we'd been doing The Little Wretches for a while, uh, some some of the songs it had even been recorded but not released in other versions. So the the arrangements had been like road tested. Yeah. And and we we could play this stuff in our sleep. And it's a little bit. Have you seen the Beatles documentary Get Back? And you uh, see them in the studio playing. I've the, seen the, parts of it. I haven't seen the whole thing yet. Well, one of the things that's amazing to me is you know when you go into a recording studio everybody tells you how you have to do it and then and there's the Beatles sitting around in a, in a semicircle with their amps in the same room in a little PA system yeah. and they're they're recording live in the studio and rehearsing live in the studio so we, we were perfectly we had this this material nailed and the engineer said hey man if you guys can record this stuff without headphones if you could just set up like you're doing a live show and overdub the vocals later just cut the rhythm tracks by the time you're done setting up I'll be ready to I'll be ready to track so he used a lot of overhead mics so mm -hmm. make yourself sound the way you want to sound in the room and that's how I'm going to get it on on the tape and it did so then uh, I doubled all the guitars you know all the electric guitars I doubled them on an acoustic guitar which was overdubbed and you know I did most of my vocals one take with Rosa singing you know we're kind of facing each other mm -hmm. uh, and we just nailed it and, and it just yeah, you know, a lot of times in the studio, what, what you'll do is you record a track, and then if you make a mistake, you go back and punch in just to fix the one note that you missed. We we didn't flub any notes. I mean, we played it perfectly. We'll yeah. never play that well again. This go round, we were not well rehearsed. Yeah. We rehearsed over Zoom. Yeah. We didn't know what the other guy was going to play. So while I'm recording in the studio. I'm concentrating so hard on not making mistakes on my part that I'm not even really listening to what the bass player's playing. Yeah. I don't understand till the playback is like, oh my God, that's a great bass part. How did you think of that? Yeah. So uh, a completely different experience. Uh, and, and then, you know, there's the, with Undesirables and Anarchists, 
you know, we knew how we sounded live, mm-hmm. and, and that's how we wanted to sound. With this, we're still kind of discovering this, you know, how the yeah. songs should best go together. And the engineer that we're working with, since he's heard it in all these layers, he can't read my mind. He doesn't know what it's supposed to sound like. He doesn't know if, you know, if this is a lead instrument or this is a supporting instrument. So, uh, but it's. It's the magic of the creative process, you know. Yeah. Uh, people, uh, I mean, imagine how like like how cool it would be to be a recording engineer mm-hmm. that worked with you know because because everybody when you go into the studio you're sure that what you're doing is the most important thing in the history of the world. Yep. And then the next band that comes in, they feel the exact same way. Like, man, to be around that much passion and that much energy all every day, you know, I get up, I go to work, and I'm surrounded by really driven, driven, talented people. Uh, that's, uh, that's a good life. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Now, throughout your um, musical career, have you studied like engineering and stuff? Have you started to take an interest into the production aspect of things? Or are you just 100% no. focused on music? No, I, can't, I don't have the one. I mean, that's a discipline in and of itself. Uh, you never hear yourself, like I, I might be able to produce somebody else's, and you know, look, I'm, I'm the official producer of, of my records, but, but the way I have to do it is I have to get really good people yeah. uh, who I could say, okay, set me up what you think is a mix and then I'll tweak and I'll, I'll tweak it. I'll give you suggestions. Yeah. But I've listened to so many scratchy records and bootleg recordings and audience recordings, yeah. and I, I'm perfectly happy with the outtakes. I mean, I hear, I hear, you know, when bands release their outtakes and their bloopers and the the stuff that didn't make the official albums. Like, man, I I usually like that stuff better than the official release. So. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't listen. I mean, I'm listening for the energy and the mm-hmm. spirit inside it. It, But it does help with somebody who understands industry standards and knows what, how to turn the knobs to get yeah. get the effect. Uh, I just don't have a, the patience for that. That's that's not my thing. Uh, that, that, that would be a discipline in itself, you mm-hmm. know? Like, where are you gonna be? You're gonna be a doctor, you're gonna be a lawyer. No, I'm gonna be a sound engineer. Yeah. Uh, that, that's not for me. I can write some songs, you know. Yeah. I, I got to devote myself to the, the writing and the guitar playing. That makes sense. 100% makes sense. Because, you know, it's it's been interesting since the pandemic. You've seen a lot of musicians starting to take, I, don't, I guess, taking an interest in production isn't the right word, but having to learn how to record vocal scratch tracks and stuff of that nature. So having to learn basics just to keep their musical aspirations alive because they can't get into the studio or whatever it is yeah well it's it's you know the the technology it was well, leveled the playing field you know in some way so so if you're an indie artist somebody on the other side of the world is just a couple of clicks away from your music so anybody can find it but then also anybody can make it you know a, a 15 year old with a laptop can make a, a record that sounds as good as you know the Beatles white album Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, you know, there there was a, another era where just making a record, going into a professional recording studio was like a sign of commitment. Mm-hmm. Going on the road with your band was a sign of commitment. And, you know, people tended to, to, to give you a pass. You know, it's like you don't have to prove yourself. You've already proven yourself by the fact that you're here. But now anybody can get in the game. 
and uh, which is still why I like to perform live because not everybody can, you know, not all those kids making their records can perform live or or playing with backing tracks. That's yeah. acceptable now. You 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 go go to a club and there's people playing with backing tracks like. Oh, oh, and and you're looking around, and their friends are happy to hear that. Yeah. Come on, you wouldn't hey. even be be able to get away with that at a talent show at high school when I was yeah. growing up. Like, the, there's been a couple of situations where I've heard. I, I've got two stories on this. So there's been a couple of situations where I've heard a band having to put in a backing track, but they kind they do it in a way where they're like using it basically a musician wasn't able to make it that night and so they had to have the backing track uh, which was kind of unfortunate but if you're a full band and your bass player can't make it you kind of got to do what you got to do you know yeah yeah but you know it, it's one of those situations where it's just like oh that sucks but i get it but then uh a few years ago i went or i went to a hip-hop show like an independent hip-hop show and it was basically all these artists except one guy. Uh, they basically all put their CD in and just ad-libbed over their CD. So basically, it was just like track one through twelve, and then then them just doing ad-libs over it. And I'm like, well, if their ad-libs are good, though, I mean, you know, it's possible that somebody can really make something happen like that. But it, it's one of those things where it's like. I came to watch you perform, not just listen to your album, because yeah. I, I could have done that for free at the house, not paid twenty dollars to get in, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I mean, not to, I hate being like that, but in when it comes to money, it's like, get, you know, whatever. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. But. Oh, you know, oh, wait! If you if you're like a knowing listener too, you yeah. know, there there are artists that'll sneak in those backing tracks. And you're like, oh, wait a second, I hear strings. Yeah. Uh, I don't see anybody playing them. Yeah. And it's not coming from the keyboard. Yeah. Uh, uh, so they're, they're pretty I, I will say, though, I really do, like, since the pandemic hit, I've been watching uh, uh, musicians do their Twitch streams, like doing their Twitch live shows. And the live loopers that basically have, like, the effects pedals and they build their beat or build their instrumental as they go, that's a really cool art form, just kind of watching them construct their... Yeah, their yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen people do that pretty good. I used to play uh, in the Little Wretches. We, we had a... Well, on the live acoustic album that we put mm. out last year, yeah. uh, it was just me and a violin player. But the violin player's name is Dave Mond. Uh, he was actually a cellist, and he was going up and down the West Coast. Uh, I mean, he could ride a unicycle, and he could do portraits with, like, felt-tip pens. So he oh, wow. was living completely off the grid, and, you know, he could busk with his cello. Uh, and somebody stole his cello. So somebody at a violin shop out there, because he's such a talented guy, they gave him a violin, but he played it. He used to get a fanny pack, and he would play the violin upright, like, oh, like a cello. Yeah. And, uh, and everything double stops, so, so completely unique guy. And uh, when he had his cello when he was playing with me, he had uh, one of those loopers, and he would set up, you know, he would basically be, be be doing a duet with himself uh or if, if i you know i have a lot of songs 
since you know I founded the band with my brother who was a violin player you know who passed away as it turned out but a lot of the songs would be written around these repetitive violin lines so what the cello player could do uh, is he could play that line you know make a loop of it mm -hmm. and then imp improvise over it yeah you could do amazing stuff with, with with the technology but but it's still you're making it happen it's not like popping a cd in and playing along with yeah. a cd yeah correct you're right 100 percent right so and then the guys they do the rhythm too they'll do, do like the clicks yeah. on their guitars they yeah it's... yeah it, there's a lot of really interesting things kind of going on in the music world right now especially during the pandemic and people have had to get creative and kind of do their own thing but I 100% agree with you. One thing that'll never be, or rarely be acceptable, I'm not going to say never be acceptable, is yeah. playing a backing track. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you can't recreate it live, then yeah, I get it. So, anyways, um, so I, kind of moving forward, you're working on the new album. Do you have a a Super Bowl show booked this year, or is it still? Kind well, it's, of... it's still uh, out here. It's really dicey. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, look, I, the, the, this whole pandemic thing has been really divisive mm -hmm. from a, like a political standpoint, and, and people have really strong opinions about mm -hmm. things. Uh, there's there's things that I'm not not necessarily comfortable with, like a lot of the places out here when that Omicron variant hit, all the shows got canceled. So my first official show that that is booked is March the 5th. Mm -hmm. uh, and everything in February got canceled. But now now that things are starting to open up, you know, there's, there's a lot of kind of cool places with open dates on their calendar. So so the I think it's February 12th is the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, so the, the Saturday Saturday night before that, it, which is just a couple of weeks away, there's a couple of pretty cool places that I think I'm going to be able to do it. The problem is in Philadelphia proper, I think you actually have to show a vaccine card to get mm -hmm. in or proof of a test. Mm -hmm. Like, man, I, I am not asking people who come to hear me play to show me anything. Mm -hmm. You know, if they want to give me money, I'll accept the money. But uh, I'm not... I mean, I have I have a hard time with that, uh, but yeah, it's really throwing throwing a monkey wrench into everything. Because yeah. I, I thought, I, you know, there was a time even last year where I thought we were coming back. Okay, yeah. we're ready to go. Yeah. And and then there's just one thing after another. Uh, and out out here, like the the, the political vibe in, in Philly proper is a lot differ different than in the regions where I am. Yeah. Uh, and, and even even in Western Pennsylvania, uh, even in the thick of the pandemic, when everybody was supposed to be masked, I went to this little place uh, in the Laurel Highlands. It was called the Coal Miner Diner. Okay. Thought, oh, a coal Miner Diner sounds cool with me. I go in there because I, you know, I'm basically making the drive from Pittsburgh mm -hmm. to Philadelphia, and I want to stop and get something to eat. I pull into the Coal Miner Diner, and it looks like they have sit-down dining. Yeah. And I go in, and they do. They have sit-down dining, and I'm wearing a mask, and everybody looks at me like, what's that thing on your face? Like, you mean 
you're not afraid to catch COVID and die? But uh, no, they weren't afraid. You know, coal miners aren't afraid of. Oh not, no! You know? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and and then then out here one morning it was a Sunday morning and I just had the hankering for an omelet. Yeah. So I thought there's got to be a place with takeout. So I'm driving around. There's a little diner that I liked. I said, I'm going to go down that diner. I'm going to get a, an omelet with locks and onions and, you know, all the smelly, tasty stuff. Yeah. And I'm driving down the street. I see a restaurant with a line of people up the sidewalk. Like, wait a second. They must have dine. They must be waiting to dine in at that place. They're yeah. certainly not going to wait like that. So I get to my little diner. You know, I order my omelet, and they say, you know, it's only takeout, but you can wait here if you want. And then this couple, they get out of their car, and they're like a million years old, and they're walking with walkers. Yeah. And they, they get up, and when they get inside, uh, the the proprietor tells them, uh, takeout only. And they look at each other. Well, a Limerick diner has sit-down, and they hobbled back to their car and drove away. And I thought to myself, the Limerick diner has sit-down? So when I, I ate my little omelet in my car and yeah. drove up to the Limerick diners, lo and behold, there's a full parking lot and people eating. So uh, it, 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 while they're doing it with, with no fear and just going on with life in general, on the other si side of town, uh, there, there's people that six feet social distances and not yeah. isn't enough for them. One mask isn't enough for them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're they're terrified. Yeah. Uh, I, and I'm a cancer survivor. I ain't scared of getting cold. You know, come on, man. Yeah. It's you know, it's one of those things. Not to get go too far into the political spectrum on things, but. I do like when it's just like, all right, let the businesses decide what they want to do. If they want to, if they want you masked up and all that stuff, okay, fine. If I really need to go to this place or I really want to go to this place, I'll at that point I'll decide, okay, I'm going to mask up or I'm not. Yeah. But if they don't want you to, you know, they can't force you to mask up. They can't force you not to mask up. So, yeah, it, yeah I went to the Pittsburgh Symphony. Um, and you had to show your vaccine card to get in, uh, and I, you know most most of their audience, you know, at the symphony, they're all cherry, you know. For I mean, I don't mean to be mean about this, but they're elderly, mm -hmm. and you know, they're, they're probably in that. You know, if 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 me wearing a mask and being vaccinated makes them makes it possible for them to go to the symphony and enjoy a night out. Yeah, I'll gladly do it. Uh, but I'm, I'm personally, I'm not, I don't care. I'm not afraid. Yeah. I, uh, I think I had the flu in 1993. I'm not, I'm not going to get sick. I don't get sick, you know. Yeah. 100% understood. I gotcha. I know where you're coming from. And we'll just kind of see how things go over the next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... Uh, so, well, hopefully this is this is the wave that uh, gets everybody their immunity. Mm -hmm. uh, because you know I've played a few shows and it's fun. Yeah. I, I you know I I want to do it more. Yeah. Uh, I went to a. I, I've been to a couple of or well not this year. I haven't been to a show yet this year. But um, the last year, towards the end of the last year, when I got back from Florida after spending time with my family while my mom was sick it was uh i went to a few shows and those shows were just 
nobody was worried about nothing you know it was like oh they were both uh i'm not gonna call them heavy metal shows but they were like heavy rock shows and it was just a whole bunch of fun compared to the first show i went to out of the lockdown i went to like a singer songwriters thing at a local bar just on the street from where i live and i went in there and everybody's just kind of Oh, I don't know. Can I trust you? Can I trust you? Can I trust you? And as they're they're talking to you as they're backing up six feet, and it's like, really? Like, I don't know. It was nobody knew how to act around each other. It was really weird. So, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, as long you know, well, back to the little bit of the political thing you know the, the what you hear and what the vibe you pick up from social media is so different than you know the data of my real life the data mm. of my going around going to the store going to the gas station uh from from the media like like I even myself I bought into it a little bit about how divided everything is but mm-hmm. the fact is wherever you go people figure out how to get along you know mm-hmm. you look around and what's the vibe here how you know when in Rome do as the Romans do but people cope and get you know still a lot of humor a lot of mm-hmm. kindness uh people doing what they have to do to you know put food in the in the kitchen and okay. the roof over the head and gas in the tank uh in that respect i you know i i wish i could get away from the social media thing because i said man life is good until you turn on the tv and they tell you it's not yeah i i I don't pay attention to half the social media like i don't post on my personal page hardly that much other than uh the occasional share of the live and amplified page and then other than that i'm not on social media like that anymore i use it more to communicate directly with musicians and friends like just as a direct message type thing but other than that yeah i i really don't check social media that often so yeah. And you know, and, and you know, I teach a little bit too. The kids, the kids are funny because you know they're they're aware that you know there's like maybe some crisis in the world, yeah. but all they want to do is look at memes and TikTok videos and you know laugh their lives away. Yeah. Uh, so, oh come on! But it's serious. You're going to rule the world someday. Yeah, man. Yeah. The world will rule itself. We're just going to have fun. <laughs> it is what it is. They'll 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 learn sooner or later like my generation figured out real quick yeah so but um anyways it's been an absolute blast chatting with you um for uh kind of moving forward uh you said hopefully right before super bowl you'll get something booked because things are starting to open up but um after that you have march you said as far as shows and whatnot yeah, well, I've got a bunch of you know like solo, and I'm I'm performing with a woman out here, uh, like the singer that you hear me with mm-hmm. on the recordings is Rosa Colucci. She's a Pittsburgher, so yeah. when I'm out there, and even even her, she she's so busy. She just because I have a gig doesn't mean she can join me. Yeah. But I love doing that duet. So out here, Kim Alexander is singing harmonies with me. Uh, so probably most of the shows I'll be doing out here, I'll be doing with Kim. Mm. And then, you know, we have somebody who plays percussion and an upright bass. It's it's a good little combo. We can do most of the Little Wretches repertoire. And 
back in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, I have H.K. Hilner on piano, John Carson and Mike Madden. So we got, yeah. we got our core little band. But as far as traveling, uh, you know, have guitar, will travel, you know, yeah. like Steve Earle, the hardcore troubadour. Uh, I wish I could, I wish I could afford to bring a band with me, but you know, people are not willing to, to pay that kind of money. And yep. so. gotcha. 100%. how far of a trip is it between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh? No, I could do it in my sleep, but it's, uh, if I don't stop, and I take the turnpike, I can do it in four and a half hours. Okay. That's... But the turnpike's so expensive. Yeah. Uh, so I, I know there, there's several roads that, that like cut across Pennsylvania. You know, some of them go over mountains and some of them wind around mountains and they're scenic. So if, if you don't want to pay those tolls, that four and a half hours turns into six and a half hours. Uh, but I love to drive, man. Yeah. As long as I got good good music to listen to, and there's always good music to yeah. listen to, uh, and then you know you scheme how we're, how am I going to take over the world? Yeah. Uh, how how is our next album going to be the greatest thing ever made? Yeah. And that's all the stuff you can think about on those nice long drives. For sure, yeah. for sure. That's my one favorite thing about driving. So, I live in Waco, Texas, but a lot of my uh partners in live and amplified they still live out in roswell new mexico where we kind of started this six years ago and so now whenever i need to go visit with them it's a seven and a half hour drive to roswell and there's an hour and a half time slot where none of my electronics work like none of the internet like there's no cell signal no internet no nothing because you're like out in west texas Wow. Middle middle of nowhere, you know, BFE, you know, all that stuff. Um, and just that hour and a half where it's like dead silent. I could probably turn on the radio if I wanted to, but I just sit there in silence for an hour and a half, let my brain kind of run away with itself of we're going to take over the world. We're going to bring down the music industry and we're gonna give the power back to the independent musicians, you know, like. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what I was thinking myself, you know? Yeah, that, that's that's the hope. Every every time I make that trip, an hour and a half of, how are we gonna take down the music business? Well, you, you make the fight down in Waco, they make the fight out in Roswell, I'll do the fight up here in Philly, in Pottstown. Uh, there's there's people like us all across the country all across the world you know yeah we're, we're gonna do the work we're gonna fight the fight we're gonna make the make the music you know for sure for sure but um once again i do really appreciate you jumping on i'm glad we were finally able to get the the podcast up and running because like i mentioned we were scheduled to do this at some point last year but with everything going on it didn't end up working out but um if anybody wants to check out um, Undesirables and Anarchists or the new album when it drops, uh, where's the best place for them to check out your music, upcoming shows, well, interact with our, our, our website is littlewretches.com, not mm -hmm. the, the band is called The Little Wretches, but littlewretches.com uh, is, is the best way, you know, look look us up on Facebook. Uh, that, I mean, for social media mainly, uh, we do Facebook. Uh, but you know, there's 
all kinds of stuff out there on YouTube. I mean, you know, I have a modest little channel where I post like the Little Wretches lyric videos and stuff, but there's so much live footage. You know, just just, just do a internet search. I mean, mm. whatever you listen to, ladies and gentlemen, I, nothing against Spotify, but you got to stream one of our songs like 40,000 times for me yeah. to make a dollar. Uh, if you're a real fan, buy merchandise purchase downloads you know get the real thing that's real real music lovers have music collections mm -hmm. and then they invite their friends over to enjoy the collection yeah. uh, you know nothing against Spotify and, and all the streaming services but uh, you know we make money when you buy our stuff yeah. we don't make money when you stream our stuff if you stream our stuff we love you we thank you but come on be a real I, fan. When I go to shows, the one thing I look for is vinyl. That's what I'm all about right now. It's because I, A, I know how expensive it is to print. So if they've got vinyl, it's like, okay, I'm gonna, and obviously if I can afford it because shelling out $30, $40 for vinyl isn't always something that you could do at the drop of a hat. That's kind of, yeah. especially, yeah. you know, it's, kind of a purchase that you have to be ready to have made but uh when i'm in a position i do like to buy vinyl and then just keep it and yeah i got a piece of art right there in front of you so yeah yeah that's uh that's the way it's done for sure for sure but once again robert thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with us thank, thank you everybody all. thank you everybody for hanging out with us really appreciate y'all and we will see you all tomorrow